What a moment. What a moment for Taylor Davis. First major league home run. All right, show and go for Friday, February 3rd. And we've got a special guest. We've got the former Cub, the former Giant, the former San Diego Padre, and the newest member of the Colorado Rockies, the Denver native going home, Pierce Johnson. Pierce, thank you so much for taking the time, man. First thought about you know, getting the chance to to play at Coors Field, I'm sure uh, a place that you frequented growing up before you made your way to Missouri State. Super excited. I mean, as a family, just being able to be close to parents, close to siblings, have our kids be around the grandparents so much more and to sleep in our own bed. I mean, oh. I don't think you can draw it up any better than that. I know. I mean, Taylor knows. I mean, living out of a suitcase, yeah. uh, you know, for as long as we have, it's uh it's it's tough, but uh, it, we're so excited. Um, so, and like wait. half the teams you're playing, you played on. So like, you know San Diego, you know San Francisco. AZ is your farthest trip. What a four hour trip, you know? Like, freaking, it's a, such a sick setup. Also, no, no, let's not hey, let's the... not let's not downplay Jack. You forgot somebody. The Hanshin Tigers. Uh, you yeah. Did. You did. Wow. You forgot the Hanshin Tigers. Okay. All right. Where he was elite. Yeah. He was elite with the Hanshin Tigers too. What were the what were the numbers in Nippon professional baseball? Fifty six innings, fifty six and a third or something. Um, I don't remember ERA. It was good, but the first I all I know is I like, think I had one. You had like yeah, you had like a, there was some there was something like late in the year because like three quarters away through the year you had like a one point I think <laughs> would you finish the year like a one and a half? I think it was around that, maybe a little high, maybe one seven. Um, I got a couple bombs at the end of the year, but uh, yeah, it was, dude. I had an absolute blast out there. It was, it was so much fun. So, 2019, age 28, season 58 and two thirds innings, 91 punch outs, 13 walks. So that's 14 Ks per nine, two walks per nine. You had a one three eight ERA with a WHIP at point eight zero, and a seven to one strikeout to walk ratio. Good How does you. that play, Jack? That plays anyway. <laughs> How fun was playing in Japan? Because obviously we're getting set for the World Baseball Classic and you're reading up on guys like Murakami, this young hitter that just launched like 56 nukes as a 22-year-old last year, and then Roki Sasaki. Tell me about the competition and then tell me about just like being an American, living in Japan, playing in a league that I know they like hug so dearly. They do. And honestly, like the way we view football here and how big football is in the United States, that's how they view baseball. So when you show up to the field every single day, it is like a college football game with the big leagues. And it's just, it's insane. I mean, there was drums in the stands, there were people screaming. There's like, everybody has their own walk-up song, but then the fans are singing that walk-up song and they got towels with guys' names on it. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. It was, it was so much fun. Um, the talent there is underrated. There's a lot, a lot of good players. Um, I mean, obviously, the guys are coming over to the States and having a ton of success. Uh, I think that's honestly what got me back is I got the confidence knowing that, hey, I can get these guys out, you know, and I, I truly became Pierce Johnson again instead of trying to do everything, every pitching coach and every scout and everybody that, you know, had – wanted to put their fingerprint on me and say, you need to do this and do that and do this. And it was like, I didn't know who I was at the time. And, and thankfully Taylor kept me in line, catching me for so many years and then kept me uh, in the game. And I can't thank him enough for that. Cause he's like my, 
favorite catcher, best friend, and, you know, still hanging out to this day. But, uh, no, Japan was an unbelievable experience. Best, best decision we ever made. And I'll, I'll never forget the conversation that I had with Pierce because Pierce called me and he was like, all right. He's like, this is going to be a tough decision. You know, he's like, because where you go, let's see, uh, 19, you hadn't been married very long. So, like, this was, you know, him taking his really young family across the world, you know. And so he, he it was a very tough decision. But, like, my only advice to him, and, and he took it and he ran with it, was like, look, Pierce, like, the stuff has always been there. You know, you go back to when he was in high school, right? Like, the stuff was always there. The only thing that he lost at the like end of his tenure in Chicago was getting guys out in the zone. Guys, guys swung and missed when the ball was out of the zone. If he threw strikes, he was getting them out, but he didn't stay in the zone enough. So I, I specifically remember like I was like, Pierce, go over there and throw everything down the middle. Like your stuff is better than they are. Like just go do it. Reteach yourself how to do that. Come back. And obviously like it's been an awesome couple of years for you. But um, yeah, that was a really cool uh couple that I remember like just I remember keeping up that whole year and I was like oh my gosh and then we had the same pitching coach for Rod Nichols for a little bit and like every other day me and Rod would just be like hey Rod you see another another three innings another six punches like so it was was pretty cool we kept up with it but you know me and Pierce also played with um arguably the greatest American to ever play in Japan uh Matt Merton who um yeah you don't know that name do you no Okay, so Matt Merton was a first-round draft pick out of Georgia Tech. Um, had to be like 05 um, by the Cubs. Traded from the Cubs to the Ro- uh, Rockies, and then yep. from the Rockies, maybe one other place, and then overseas. Oakland, I believe. Oakland, yeah. yeah. I think it went to Oakland, and then actually played for the team I played for, so the Hanshin Tigers. Hanshin. Had an unbelievable career. I mean, he beat Ichiro's hit record, single-season hit record. Yeah. Um, and then uh, – what played another five years after that, so six total years in Japan. And he was just, and he was just this like, he's he's a bigger, stockier dude. He's probably what like six two, but he's like really filled out. Yeah. And he had, and he had this giant red beard. So he was the exact opposite of every every Japanese person, right? And he he'll tell you like the the reason that it that I thought of it though was because you talked about the walk up songs and the like. The one coolest story I remember him talking to us about was at the end of his tenure in Japan. The entire stadium. He had his somebody had made his own walkout song with his name in it. And the entire stadium, when he would come up to bat, would sing his walk-up song. Yeah. And I just I'm I telling you, that, like the way they that they treated players over there was incredible. I mean, obviously we stuck out like sore thumbs because we weren't Japanese, but um there's only four foreigners per team, right? So you know, you could only, it was mainly Japanese players. And then you had, you know, maybe two Americans, two Latin players, or maybe a Taiwanese kid or a Korean guy. It just, it was very diverse in who you could have in the four. Cause I was one of the other Americans. We had another guy, but he was considered Japanese cause he was there so long. But I mean, they keep it very Japanese over there. And, and it's kind of fun because you get to enjoy their culture, their food, their travel. You go in their the way. They, Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, it gives you a whole new perspective and respect for all the players that come over to the States and play in the States. It's a little different in the sense of like, you know, there's a ton of, you know, players from the Dominican, from Venezuela, from Cuba, those guys can, you know, congregate and have those friendships where honestly, I was kind of on my own a lot. And, you know, I didn't know Spanish, you know, I didn't know Japanese. So it was kind of, you know, myself and my wife and my translator for the entire year. 
That's craziness. And and I know the style of play in Japan is, is so different. The style of hitting is so different over there. And you think of baseball in 2022 and 2023, there are a lot of guys that are getting a swings off in non a swing counts in Japan. I feel like you see B swings a lot. You see C swings a lot. You see guys that make this concerted effort to put bat on ball all the time. Did that offer you almost like a different look and you almost had to get more creative in the way that you got guys out. Yeah. And I'm honestly, we had, don't quote me on this, but I like, I, I know teams had guys that like specialized in like foul balls. So like they would just get up there and have like 20 pitch at bats. And it was incredible. Like the games are long there, but there's, I mean, there's so much action because so many guys are putting the ball in play and the guys that hit the home runs are the foreigners. That's who they bring in. They bring in, you know, the, Valentin. you know, the American, yeah, Valentine played there, what, 10 years? I mean, there's guys that come over that are big thumpers, but they're going to strike out a lot because they haven't seen the split. They haven't seen the movement because they pitch backwards and stuff like that. But my goal is, and Taylor and I talked about this, I literally was trying to get a foul ball on a high heater early, and then I was going to spin him to death. And then by the end of the year, everybody was sitting on breaking ball that I could get him with the heater out late. And I think, I think the, you know, you hear that like, um, the hitting the hit is so important. I remember Burton telling us that like he could go one for four with a homer and it was like the fans didn't like him near as much if he went three for four or three singles. Like that was so much more important. Um, and then just to back Pierce's point up, like the big thing that these Japanese teams uh, look for is what they don't have. Um, and it's the same. It's a similar it's a similar process to like winter ball. So teams that whatever you don't have typically on that team, that's who you're going for. So in Japan, you're going for the hard throwers or the boppers. Even if they don't hit 300, um, that's the American you're looking for just because it's what we don't have. Yeah. Yeah. And Velo plays, right? Like, obviously, you're going to have your Sengas, your Darvishes, your, you know, Kikuchis. You're going to have those elite starters that they have over there. But they don't have a ton of them. So that's why they bring in guys from the States that have the curveball that they don't really have. And they have the, you know, hard, hard slider, but then the velo, everybody wants velo, right? I mean, every bullpen here in the States, you're not going to see a guy throwing under 95 unless he's a mop-up guy. And he's probably nasty with four pitches, right? It's, so, it's like a big joke about hitter around hitters right now that like, it used to be that you'd go in these games, you'd be like, Oh gosh, this guy's not throwing 95 sick. And now you like, this guy's throwing 89. Oh my gosh, that's the worst. That he's got to have something we can't see. <laughs> he's got massive sink. He's got a devastating slider. He's got something that yeah, nobody else has. Sure. Man, hey, I want to jump back to the beginning, right? Because you were the 43rd overall pick in 2012 at a Missouri State. You go from Denver to Missouri State, then you immediately hop into the Cubs system. You were throwing to a guy. I didn't realize you were throwing to him. I didn't realize that Luke Voigt was a catcher for you in college. And we were talking about this before we hit the record button. You had a great rendezvous with him when he was in Memphis and you were in Iowa after the fact. But obviously you and Luke got to know each other well. But this guy was somebody that kind of popped up in terms of power. Obviously, you knew he was a big, strong guy. You had no idea that 22 nukes in 60 games in that COVID-shortened season was going to happen, did you? Not at all. But the thing I'm going to give Luke the most credit for is there's not a guy that's going to outwork him. That guy's in the weight room. He's taking hacks. He's just very dedicated to his craft. And, you know, we always saw it in college. Like, he was super strong. You know, he was a, as a catcher, he was a great target because he was just so big behind the dish. It was awesome. But, uh, you know, really seeing his uh, career kind of, 
explode and him having the success that he's had, I'm just super pumped for him. And then even we get to be teammates again and we got to enjoy and reminisce and, and uh, enjoy things 10 years down the road again together. Yeah, it was awesome. I saw. I didn't see Luke until until Memphis, but I remember like the one thing that stuck out to me was he was a big, strong dude. But when he was in Memphis, he had an incredible approach for a for a guy, and he really didn't swing and miss a ton. I don't know what his strikeout rates were, but like just as far as calling games, like there weren't those areas that you were like, all right, like we're gonna get a swing and miss here. Uh, he was pretty patient, um, and he knew he could be because if he got if he got it, he was gonna get it. And so you know that was a. Uh, it was a tough at bat for for everybody except for Pierce. <laughs> I just um, think you know the former college teammate friends, you know, just kind of that always him up. Hey, that's a factor. That's a factor in 100%. every hundred percent with the player. Yeah, Dude, and I was I was the worst. I I mean I'm the worst like inner squad player of all time. I cannot face my own guys to save my life. And what I've come to realize is that. I always think, like, if I was going to face you, I'd always think, like, all right, Pierce is going to do something different because it's me. Like, he knows me. He's going to do something totally different. And then as I've gotten older, like, and what I tell people now is, like, dude, they're not. They're just going to go, it's a right-handed hitter, or you're a right-handed pitcher. I'm going to treat you the exact same as anybody else. Like, it's no different, but you do that in your head. You're like, okay, this guy's got a really good fastball and a really bad curveball. He's going to throw me all curveballs because he knows that I'm sitting on the fastball. No, he's not. He's going to use his best pitch. I it's love true. that. It is true. Walk me through that that at bat you had against Luke Voigt when you were in Iowa. He was in Memphis again. Well, I mean, I'm like mainly breaking ball, right? But <clears throat> he knew I was going to throw my best pitch. And I that's all I threw. I don't even think I threw him a heater in like the what the eight at bats you and I had against him. But I, I feel um, like I, I feel like and I, I don't want to like I I wish we could go look back. I feel like honestly, there was one at bat. Where like the day before the day of, he was like, "Dude, you got to give me a heater," and we were like, "All right," and we gave him like a first pitch heater, and he took it, and then we went all breaking balls after that. But that was that the same at bat where I quick pitched him, and it was a heater, so I just like came tap my glove and threw it, and he grounded out, and he was just so mad yelling at me down the first uh, base. I couldn't look at him because I was just beside myself laughing, and I was like the eighth or ninth inning, and I'm just losing it on the mound. Uh, <laughs> That is awesome. You were you were a starter, obviously, at Missouri State. You were a starter working your way through the minor leagues. If I have my dates right, 2016 was when you made that move to being a reliever, right? There was one year where you were kind of half and half swingman type, and then it was full bullpen. What was that transition like for you? So in 16, I was in AAA, and uh, I was in the fall league the year before, came into spring training, had an okay spring, not a great one. I a lot of coaches were telling me to change some things. I was trying to change my arm path and never really felt comfortable. Um, and I was a starting pitcher at the time. And so I started for two thirds of the year and we got to, I want to say it was like late July and the front office called me and they're like, Hey, you know, we love your fastball. We love your breaking ball. We're going to send you to the pen. And we'll, all we want you to do is throw as hard as you can and spin your breaking ball as much as you want. And I was like, I mean, <laughs> say no more, right? Yeah. Like those are my two favorite things. I don't want to have to try and flip in a change up on somebody and get beat on my third best pitch. Cause I've been berated by every pitching coach ever on throwing it at the wrong time. So the fact that I could just go out there, throw one and two, and then just go from there. It was kind of nice. 
I'm sure. It, it, uh, like, so we talked about, gosh dang it, Jack, I'm doing it again. We talked about this in the last episode when we talked about like Josh Hader and the difference that like going to the pin. I, I just said that like, I really think that when Josh Hader went to the pin, like he gained a little bit of that like FU, like he gained a little bit of that like, as a starter, you, you can have that. But you can't really because you're not going to throw only fastballs and in, in, unless you're, you know, Spencer Strider. You're not going to throw only two pitches. Like, you're going to try to not nibble, but you're going to, you know, play corner, whatever. But when you go to the pin, you can more or less just be like, F you, here it is, hit it or don't. And I feel like a little bit of that happened to you. Like, you didn't gain significant velo, but, like, your mentality changed. Like, you changed on the mound. Your 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 confidence changed. Everything got better solely because you were like, all right, like, here it is. This is what you're, you know what you're getting. Here's what I'm coming with. Um, Absolutely. And I also think, I think when, when they call down to the bullpen, right, you can kind of assess the situation and assume that your role's coming up. But in the minor leagues, there's always like, Hey, you're down today. You're down today, whatever it may be. But especially in the big leagues, when everybody's up almost every single day on a good team on a rings, good team it's true true on a good team in the biggest but and you have a role and when that phone rings and they're like hey pierce get hot i mean the hearts go in you throw right. some weighted balls and like it only takes like eight pitches maybe to get hot but then you get out there to the mound and you're still going to have your six to eight whatever warm-ups you get so for me it was it was almost like an adrenaline junkie like every time the phone rang like my heart was going it was just like you're just so amped in the adrenaline's pumping that it's not the same as a starter because you get to do your routine you long toss you stretch you get on the mound you ease into it and then you have a half an inning before you go out there or whatever it may be bullpen it's like yo, you got the next batter and you're like oh, let's go yeah jack you have never seen you have never seen caffeine consumption like you would have seen caffeine consumption on a playoff bullpen it is the really? most absurd oh. thing you have ever seen the amount of coffee and red bull that just gets, I mean, I mean, like, we're talking like multiple, like one every other inning for most. Like, guys are throwing, it's, a, you've never seen it like it. Sure no, it's, and I don't even think in the playoffs it's that bad. I think it's more like a day game midseason because playoff, the adrenaline, it's but better no, be don't get me wrong, you're so tired when you get to the playoffs, like physically, but when you hear those fans, and the atmosphere in the playoffs, yeah. and when the phone rings, I mean, I don't even think it takes six pitches to get loose. I mean, you pretty much call somebody in from the pin without warming them up with the adrenaline that's gone from that. But the caffeine consumption is at an all-time high in that bullpen pretty much year-round. So yeah, funny. in the in the 22 minutes that I've known you, I don't get any of that F you, right? You seem like a very nice, relaxed guy. How do you turn it on? Like, is it is it just that adrenaline that comes with the phone call, or is there something that – you know, you tried to channel and you tried to figure that out in the minor leagues or very early in your major league career. Shoot. I think everybody kind of fights it throughout the year. I mean, there's highs and lows and, you know, you kind of feel in a lull, your body's tired, whatever it may be, but somebody put in perspective earlier in my career and they were like, look, that guy at bat is trying to take dinner off your family's table. You know, they're trying to take money out of your pocket. They're trying to do that. It's like, all right, when you put it in that perspective, I mean, this is, you know, this is gladiator style. This is me versus you, and let's see where it goes. And and I think when I finally bought into that mentality, and it's just like, hey, F you, I'm just going to give you the kitchen sink. I don't care if I'm throwing 100 heaters or 100 curveballs. I'm going to give you my best every time I'm out there. That's bad. And I think it comes with, like, just uber confidence, too. Like, you know, 
Pierce Pierce is one of the best in the world at, at throwing a baseball. And like that gets you that like, all right, come on. Like, what, what are you going to do? I, I'm as good as you're going to see today. Like, there is no reason that I need to have any doubt in my mind. And once again, I just I think that it's a little easier for relievers to have that just because you don't have to do it for six innings. That's a tough thing to turn on, come sit down and turn off, because the reality is, unless you're Max Scherzer, like being at that like intensity level for an entire start is really, really difficult. And it's not always beneficial. You know, we've both played with guys that try to stay like really amped up through starts. And it usually comes back to bite you at some point. Um, but like, it's almost like the- you you use all the gas in your gas tank and then yep. you hit the sixth inning and you're just like, Whoa, I got to dig deep for this. And you don't necessarily have exactly everything you have. But the, the fact that I have the opportunity to pitch every single day, but it's in small increments, I mean, it's it's a little different. And you got to prepare different too, but it's a different mentality for sure. So you guys came up together for the most part through the Cubs organization, right? Taylor, what levels did you catch Pierce? I think just double A and triple A. Just double and triple no, A. I, you don't remember? No, 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 no. Okay. One of my favorite starts, okay. In Daytona? Lakeland, Florida. No, no, yeah. So we played in Daytona. We were in Lakeland, and it was a day game. It was like a kid's day, right? So they're playing SpongeBob every time, you know, there's a lull in the game. And Taylor was catching me. It had to have been. 110 with a hottest billion place, percent hottest humidity. place in the world that day i mean my face is cherry red yeah and it is 10 a.m there's little kids screaming everywhere but i remember this to like to a t taylor was the first catcher that i had that had me pitch inside for effect and we had a great start i think i was on a five inning limit and we hit that five innings every time i threw to taylor and it was it was that game that things like clicked for me a little bit. And I would, I had some ups and downs that year. It was a very good year, but the ups and downs, especially going up a level and learning, you know, how that game's played. But um, Taylor caught me in Lakeland. It was the hottest game. I will never forget. Hottest game I have ever pitched in my life. Man, uh, Taylor, does that ring a bell at all? Yeah. Lakeland, Lakeland, just because you said Lakeland, Lakeland is so hot. And like, I remember somebody telling me like, dude, Lakeland in the summer is the hottest place in the entire world. But I actually do remember talking to Pierce about this. And honestly, like, let's dive into this a little bit. I think that something that's really changed in our game is pitching inside since we got in the game. And and part of the reason that that is, is like relievers for so long were so dominant. Relievers mainly, but even starters, like it was fastballs away. Like that was where the least damage was going to be done. So we threw it there. We threw it there all the time. Um, eventually, it took 20 years, but hitters kind of caught up to that. And when we got in the game was the start of like, hey, it's been it's been a really interesting ride like following this to me as a catcher probably more so than most but like when when we like he said like we started pitching in for effect that was kind of the first thing was like hey we don't necessarily need to hit guys uh but they don't need to be strikes just throw the ball inside and then get them off of that and then it went from that to okay well that's not really working maybe you should hit a guy here and there like i specifically remember having meetings where they were like hey like we don't want you to hit people, but if you hit people, it's not the worst thing. And then it went from that to, okay, you guys got to start throwing strikes inside. And, and so, you know, now, honestly, it's wild, but like now almost it's kind of gone back to, Hey, like there's less slug down and away for the most part, we're going to live there, but 
you've still got to go in. But it's just been a really interesting part of the game that, like, to think about the fact that you go your whole life, you know, with a plate, throwing in, throwing out, trying to make game plans. And the reality was that if you go watch all the games, it's a lot of stuff. If they were if there were fastballs that were strikes, for the most part, they were they were down and away. Not only that, I also think how the game's played now is starting pitchers establish the inside of the plate, right? Yeah. They establish in and they do everything else. When you guys got guys coming out of the pen, right? Like yeah. when you have you know, the haters, the, you know, the Diaz, the class A, all these guys, their stuff so overpowering. They don't need to pitch inside. Well, I mean, and, yeah, and okay. They, they, well, they don't, they shouldn't need to pitch inside. And that's exactly what True. you're saying. I, I love that. True. That's, I, that's a great point. Like that is a job of a starter that a lot of people don't look into. One of the jobs of a starter, like if you're a starting pitcher in minor league baseball, in major league baseball, they tell you before you go out, look, you have to set the inside corner because at the end of the game, I got three guys coming in that aren't going to throw one pitch there. Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, I also, I think one of the hardest roles because I've had to do it and I've seen other guys do it. And it's been such an up and down role is that that long relief mid relief guy. That is a hard role to play when you're up by a lot down by a lot. And they're asking you to just go out there and feed heaters so that the game goes faster and that you can save the rest of the pen. It's a hard thing to do. And it's an incredibly saw, hard thing to do. And, and because I didn't know early in my career when I was in the major leagues that I should still throw my best stuff, that I shouldn't just throw heaters to throw heaters to get the game going. Like, I think I would have had more su- success early, but because yeah. I was like trying to be something I wasn't right. I was just like, okay, well, we're down by eight and I'm trying to save the pen. So I'm going to go three innings, but yeah. here's a heater. Here's a cutter. Here's this. I wasn't throwing my breaking ball like I should have. And that's yeah. a hard role to do. I so, think, I think one thing that one thing that's changed in this game and like the way that I say it, and I believe this is, I really believe that like pitchers now, that like the mindset for most organizations to pitchers is I want you to throw as good as you can for as long as you can. And I'm going to mm-hmm. take you out of the game. Whether that's an inning in two-thirds, whether that's three hitters, whether you can go six innings. I want you to throw as good as you can for as long as you can, and then we're going to get somebody else up. And you know what? If I got to use six guys and I got to go to the minor leagues and option somebody, I'm going to do that. Um, yeah. But I think you're seeing that way more often. And part of that is the the opener role, right? Like you're seeing that and because of that. Uh, but I do think that's another aspect of this game that's been significantly different from when we first got in. Well, and that's a great thing for a guy like you, Pierce, right? Because, you know, you mentioned that you've done that, right? And you've been a pitcher that you didn't necessarily believe was the best version of Pierce Johnson because you were trying to fill a role that wasn't Pierce Johnson's finest role here. Um, You're 61% breaking ball. You were 61% breaking ball in 2022. So do you almost feel like getting through those types of years, getting through those types of situations afforded you the opportunity to like pitch in these high leverage moments and and do what is the best version of you? 100%. I think I learned who I was at that time. Because it, until you get your teeth kicked in, you don't really have, you know, to figure out who you are, right? Like, if you yeah. always have success, like, life is easy, right? And Got to go through adversity. Have to. Failure is such a blessing. And I've had to go through failure. And, you know, I can't be happier about the road that I've traveled. Like, yeah, it's been a roller coaster for sure. But at the same time, like, I wouldn't have understood how to be a better pitcher if I wouldn't have gone through that role to go to Japan, figure out who I was, come back, know what my strengths are, pitch in the big leagues, have success, build that confidence. But now 
I can be a leader in that bullpen. And when those guys come up or whatever it may be, I can help them and be like, Hey man, I've been in that role and I need you to pitch and be who you are and pitch how you pitch and don't change and do anything because you think you have to do it. Just be you. And then that's how you earn the roles. And that's how you become the haters, the Diaz, the, all those back end guys is those guys had to earn those roles. You know, I mean, some of those guys have such electric stuff. They kind of get pushed to that, but a lot of those guys, they earn that role. And I feel yeah. like I've finally earned my role. And I think your your journey speaks for itself. And like you said, I think that something in every clubhouse is like, those are the leaders typically. You know, most people probably look at teams and they go, hey, like our leader is, I, I have no idea. I've never been an angel, an angel, but like most people probably go right away. They're like, oh, it's Mike Trout. That's your leader. I'll go ahead and guess he's probably not the leader of the team. It's probably some guy that's a 10-year veteran that, has had an up and down career, right? Like Pierce has had every single part of this journey of a minor league player. He was a high first round pick. He was a high prospect. He went to a point where he really struggled and got pushed down prospect lists. He got to AAA rather quickly, but then didn't really get his opportunity. Gets traded, uh, goes up and down, goes to Japan, comes back, and now he's an everyday big leaguer. Like he's had the every piece of that. So anybody that wants to get something from Pierce can get it. He can get that information and Pierce can give that information, which is why those guys are so valuable. Now the Rockies are just lucky that Pierce is also really good at the thing that they need to be good at. And that's pitching. Most teams are looking for just that guy, you know, when you go to like old, which is why I think like the stigma of backup catchers was how it was because they weren't going to play a ton. So I didn't necessarily need the best player. I needed somebody there that I could have to run my clubhouse, my backup shortstop that was playing behind the guy that was going to play behind um, Starling Castro because Starling Castro was going to play every single day. That guy, I could afford that guy to maybe not be the most talented if he could lead my team. So it's just incredibly lucky for teams to find guys like Pierce that they can throw in the bullpen and go, look, Pierce can not only throw the ninth, but he can also lead that bullpen because he knows that they know that whoever goes out there can get answers from him. I, I want to ask you about that payoff because Appreciate you mentioned that. that adversity created you, right? Like adversity created who Pierce Johnson is and you wouldn't take anything away from the career that you have had to this point. Sign a free agent deal. One year, $5 million with the Colorado Rockies. That had to feel freaking awesome to see that number next to a free agent deal like that. Like, what were the emotions that ran through you when you saw that number and you put pen to paper for that? Like, that's what everybody dreams about. I Here, let me answer, let me answer this for Pierce, because I'll tell you this. I would go to guess. I don't know what he's going to say, but I would go to guess that the fact that the, uh, the heading had Colorado Rockies on it meant significantly more to him than the number of zeros after the, after the commas. Uh, I think that, if I had to guess, was probably the really cool part for Pierce. But go ahead. Sorry. For sure. I mean, that is a huge part of it. But honestly, for me and how family oriented we are, the fact that I get to play at home in front of my parents, with my wife, with my kids, with my sister, my brother-in-laws, my in-laws, my grandpas, who are both getting old, like that to me, that to me means so much. And I tell people this all the time. When I was in San Francisco, the first time I got to pitch at Coors Field, I was running in. I think we were down because that was the only time I really pitched. But we were down, and I ran in for the seventh. 
and it was God bless America. And I was literally the only one on the field standing in the middle of the diamond, you know, with my hat covering my heart, watching, you know, the flag at home, home, like at home with all my family there. I mean, I couldn't, you, you can't script it. Like it was just unbelievable that you just had to soak it all in. And that to me was, you know, awesome. So that was worth the, that was probably worth the journey for you. If I had to guess. Thousand percent. I mean, look, making it to the big leagues, like that's the highlight of anybody's career, right? Winning a world series, winning any sort of award, having a successful career, whatever it may be, but being able to do it and enjoy it with your family and do it in a place where, you know, you grew up. I mean, what's better than that? Yeah. My, my biggest message to every single young baseball player, I don't care what level you're at. My biggest message to everybody has always been, you get to take one thing from this game, and that's the memories that you've created while you're doing it. Whether the game ends when you're in high school, whether the game ends when you're in the big leagues after 20 years, you get to take one thing away for sure, and that's the memories. And like how you create those and, and which ones you try to remember make the journey so much more fun, so much more um, emphatic for most. And it's just, you know, you hear stories like that. Like, like, like Pierce said, Pierce, you just said it yourself, Jack. Like Pierce just signed a $5 million deal. He would trade that $5 million if, if you would have told him that he couldn't have that first moment. Like, that moment was worth every penny of what he just got. Like, yes. that's what I think people at home – I hope they, like, take that about players is that you see these big contracts and everybody loves to, like, talk about this. And, yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Everybody wants to make as much money as you possibly can. But most of the people in baseball are like anybody else. They're mostly normal people searching for happiness and where do you find happiness you find happiness in those memories you find happiness in in that journey that you create and being able to remember that like when pierce is done playing he's not going to remember signing that contract but you know what he is going to remember is that story he just told you and he's going to tell everybody that god that's the goods man holy shit that's the good so you guys are kind of the same guy right like you guys are (laughs) both very you know, high level, just thinkers, like you enjoy every moment that you're in because it's so clear that you both like just freaking love baseball and, and working with each other on your way through the Cubs system much must have been like so much fun. How in step were you guys when you were a tandem, whether it was in a bullpen or in game? Taylor, I want you to answer this first. Real, I, I think we were really good. I think Pierce was one of the first guys that I tried. He was one of the first guys that I tried to um like break down on my own so that I could help fix him if he needed it like he was one of the first guys that like during bullpens if I wasn't catching him in the game I was I was watching all nine innings I was making sure that I could see what was happening um you know there have been times when like I'll go on you know most teams have uh the ability all the teams have the ability to go watch everybody pitch so like there were times where like I'd go watch games that he pitched when he was in San Francisco or I watch games when he was in Japan and I'd be like, Hey, this looks like this, like, dude, just keep doing that. Um, I do think he was one of the first guys that kind of like led me to that, like loving being around bullpen guys and trying to figure out pitchers. I think we really, we really clicked on game calling. I think we, we had very similar opinions right off the bat. Uh, now, like, <laughs> He's a first rounder with incredible stuff. So yeah, I'm going to click with whatever I put down. It's going to be great. But I do think like the sequencing, like, you know, when you get to the big leagues, you know, I've said this and, you know, Pierce will agree to this, I'm sure. But like, dude, when you get to the big leagues, everybody's stuff is unbelievable. So like, it really does come down to game calling and, and how you're sequencing and how you're managing the game. And 
I do think that we really clicked like that uh, from the beginning. But the one thing that I think we both did is we were both willing to just be open-minded when we had these conversations and Hey, like, dude, some of the stuff that like me and Pierce tried in game, like most guys probably wouldn't do it. You know, there were outings when Pierce was a starter, like towards the end of his starting, where like, I'm pretty sure there was an outing or two where we threw like eight breaking balls in a row to like three hitters. So like, you just don't see that. Right. Like we did stuff like that. Um, and, and it, obviously led to some cool stuff but i do think that's how it really started for me got you pierce what was your experience working with taylor i mean i hit the nail on the head but i think what it all kind of boils down to is we had a friendship on and off the field so when it comes down to that the pitcher catcher relationship and how i can take constructive criticism from him and be like dude you were bad today and like our breaking ball just was not it or hey dude you had a great stuff or he has, you know, ideas of what we should try. And and like he said, we tried eight breaking balls in a row and I got a good story for you in a second, but um, you know, I trust Taylor with so much, you know, on and off the field, but because we had that basis of a friendship and we were so tight already, it gives you so much confidence on the mound because you're like, dude, this guy's got my best interest. And he's like, he's been watching every single hitter and like, Hey, he's not going to hit this breaking ball. If you put it right here, let's do it. And he shows enthusiasm behind the plate and he gets so excited when I have success. And I get excited when he has success that I just think all of that and all the, you know, off field talks we had about baseball and it, it just changes how you play with each other. I think I was one of the, I, you were probably one of the first guys that like probably because of our friendship, most catchers, like when they when they're catching a guy, like they'll give up some guy guy give up a home run, guy give up a nice swing or something, you know. Like pitch will come in, and pitchers always like, man, I feel like that was a really good pitch. And most of the time, the catchers are like, yeah, dude, just keep going, man. I remember, like, I'd look at Pierce and go, like, no, dude, that the ball's over the middle. Like that was not a good pitch. <laughs> he hit it for a homer. Like let's figure it out. But like, I think that that comes back to something that I think that like being the best, like like being the best at what you do is all about figuring out how people learn. And I think that we figured out how each other learned and we were able to help each other that way. Gotcha. Absolutely. And we were willing to take the good and the bad yeah. too. Yeah. And like, Hey, like I trusted you on that pitch and that wasn't the right pitch. He's like, you know what? You're right. I'll be better next yeah. time. Or I didn't throw a good pitch and you know, Hey, that wasn't a good pitch. You're right. It wasn't, it wasn't, yeah. but I got a story for you. Let's so hear it. my last start as an actual starter. Okay. I'm in Iowa. We're facing Las Vegas and Michael Conforto is two for two off me with two piss missiles off both walls. Right now I can't get this guy out. And I don't remember if Taylor's catching me. I don't remember that part because I, I still, I can't believe this happened. It was really funny, but my manager comes to take me out of the game because Conforto for the third at bat, I threw him six straight breaking balls and just absolutely roped me off the other wall for three for three with three doubles maybe a bomb i don't know and my manager comes out and he's like why did you throw another breaking ball i was like because it's my best pitch he goes no what's your best pitch i was like breaking ball he goes no what's your best pitch i was like heater he's like yes go to the dugout he took the ball and i get to the dugout and i walk right right up to the pitching coach i was like hey rod uh, what's my best pitch he goes you're breaking ball i was like that's what i thought i sat down (laughs) That's good. Uh, I got 
All right, I got two 2023 questions for you. One really quick and then one, you know, a little bit deeper. Um, number one, are you excited to play with Chris Bryant again? Absolutely. Chris is the ultimate professional. Um, I got along with him so well when we were coming up to the minors. I mean, honestly, he was on the fast track. and That dude should have been in the big leagues the second he got drafted. But uh, we did spend some time together. And he's the man. I can't wait to play with him. Okay. Jack, Chris Bryant, here's a fun here. It's, see if you can answer this fun fact. Chris Bryant is the only player in the history of baseball to do what do you and let me give you a hint it has to do with multiple years yeah so he is it games played nope okay because i know he like did not miss games at the beginning of his career he's the only guy in the history of the game to go uh, college player of the year, minor league player of the year, rookie of the year, MVP in consecutive years. So, Pierce, I grew up in Oak Park, which is a suburb of Chicago. And, uh -huh. you know, it was it was a cheaper ticket to go to Sox games. When the Cubs were really good, the Cubs were really good. And Chris Bryant was like everybody's favorite because he was the tall, handsome guy. And he had a great smile and like the hair was sick. And he was a rookie of the year and an MVP. But he always struck me as like a guy that just could do no wrong, but was so down to earth about it. Is that the vibe that you got from him? Thousand percent. I remember day one when he showed up in Daytona because Taylor and I, Taylor might have been called up to double A at the time, but I was pitching and I was having a really good outing. And he sat down next to me and he just super quiet. I mean, this dude had spent maybe three minutes in our dugout. It's like he showed up in the fourth and he just, he's like, so you're having a good day, huh? And I was like, yeah, like, you're having a pretty good day too with that little signing bonus, huh? He's like, yeah, you're doing all right. I'm excited to be here. I'm like, I'm excited to have you. But nah, he's just his, his he's whole such family. A good guy. His whole family is incredible. They're such him and his wife and his kid. They're great people. Although I will say, he's he. Uh, if you go look, I think in Daytona, I think rookie ball. I think in Boise and AZL and maybe even Daytona in Boise and in the AZL, his first games, both of them. 0 for 5, I believe, 5 Ks in an error. Well, wasn't his major league debut? It was like 0 for 5 with four punch outs or something. 0 for 4 with 3. And then the next right. day he turns around and has like bust. a bust. He's a bust. Doesn't phase him. Does not phase him. That is awesome. Dude is nasty. Yeah. All right. Second 2023 question. You know, Coors Field is almost like the curse word when, when pitchers are talking about it, right? When it comes to park factor. And, you know, everybody on the outside says, oh, it's like playing in zero gravity, right? There are certain pitch profiles that succeed at Coors Field. Um, did you, like have you looked into that at all? Like, does your pitch profile fit what works at Coors? And I guess from a pitcher perspective, from a Rockies pitcher perspective, how much do you think about Coors Field? Because I feel like the answer might be not at all. I think the right answer is not at all. Yeah, you have I to. Think you, you have need, to think not you, at all. True, true. But at the same time, you need to be conscious of the fact that you are going to have to make different adjustments. You're not pitching at sea level. You're not pitching in humidity. There's different adjustments you need to make. And I had Rod Nichols, the pitching coach we had in AAA together. He told me when I was pitching in Colorado Springs in AAA, and he goes, don't you dare change a thing. He goes, all you do is you change your eyesight. I was like, what do you mean my eyesight? He's like, wherever you start the ball, just start a little bit lower or a little bit higher, depending on the pitch you're throwing. So for a heater, started to tick higher. For a curveball, started to tick lower. Started to tick off the plate or on the plate, whatever it may be. Just change your eyesight a little bit. And that, to me, clicked. And I've I've had a ton of success here in Colorado, and that was something they brought up when when we were in uh, you know, 
negotiations and everything and holds true. Cause every time we came into town, like I've had a ton of success here and all I did was change my eyesight and look playing 80, you know, 81 games here is going to be different story. It's going to be I'm probably more adjustments I'm going to have to make, but for the most part, for the times that I have pitched here, don't think about it. All you have to do is just change your eyesight is what I learned. It all, it also helps that like, you know, you grew up there. So not only does that help in a sense of, yeah, you've pitched with Colorado quite a bit, but the other reason that helps is because your stress level in general is going to be lower. You're not going to Colorado for the first time. Um, you're going to be there knowing that it's color. It, it's home for you. Like you're as comfortable as anybody probably that's ever pitched for the Rockies for the first time. Like you're, you know what I mean? So like, that's something that I think that probably will come into play. It's like, man, like, dude, it's just another day. The only thing I'll give you, and this is like where I think you can take cores into, into play a little bit is, um, like you give up a, a homer a hit on a ball that shouldn't have been a homer a hit and you go, okay, like, look, I don't necessarily need to make an adjustment. That was a, that was a course field home run. Um, that's where I think you take that into account. Not necessarily right. like, Oh, I got to change myself, but like, Hey, like I'll give myself credit. I made, that was one of those situations. I did make a good pitch. The guy just used the field to his advantage. So be it, it happens. Uh, but it was course field. Let's move on. Um, the other good thing is typically you're probably going to throw there twice a week and you're going to get to go throw somewhere else twice a week. So you get to reset and you get to come back and do it again. So, um, you know, and the last thing I'll say about that is like, look, man, you, you find a reliever, a pitcher that has success. I mean, look what Adam Adovino's done. Like yeah. you go have success in Colorado. It just shows that it, your ability, your, your, your ceiling is just that much higher. Right. I do think something that plays really well in my favor is that I spend my off season here. So what I'm throwing, what I'm working out and everything You're throwing like that. There. Exactly. So I'm throwing bullpens, right? So like I know that my breaking ball is breaking and sharp and late. I'm like, dang, dude, let, let's get the spring training. Let's get this thing going because <laughs> I feel good, right? So I do think there is a benefit of me, you know, training here, living here in the off season, you know, the altitude training for cardio, um, all that kind of stuff, seeing how I recover here because it's a little different than sea level or wherever it may be. But I do think that has a big factor as well. Makes a lot of sense. All right, Taylor, uh, beauty of this podcast is you get to wax poetic about Pierce Johnson. You get to tell him all the nice things that you have to say about Pierce. And you've already done a lot of that over the like. Yeah, I was going to say, he's kind of tooted my horn a little bit. He's tooted your horn a lot, but I'm giving him one final opportunity to maybe say like the nicest thing that he's been holding in his back pocket till the end of the show. No, the only thing that I'll say, and I've preached this to so many people, is like, I, I just really hope that. Uh, this is more of a hope than it's something about Pierce, but I think that Pierce has done enough at this point in his career to deserve an opportunity to pitch in a significant amount of high leverage situations. And I really hope that that happens for you this year. Um, and I know it's like some people are going to look at that and go, hold on, you want him to pitch in high leverage in Colorado? Like, yes, I, I it's time. Like you deserve this opportunity. And this is something that, that you've worked your entire life for to, you know, being in the major leagues is incredible. I think one thing that Joe Madden was really good about talking about was Joe Madden talked about how there were like different levels to being a major league. And he talked about like, you know, you get up there the first time and like, look, you're just trying to figure out how to fit in. Then you're just trying to figure out yourself. You know, Pierce is to the point now where he's made a little bit of cash. Like he's, he's pretty content, but like now it's time to figure out who Pierce is and, and who the best Pierce is. And so it's Pierce's opportunity now. And like, I know he wants it. I know he's ready for it and I know he can tackle it, but like, I really hope, that this is the year that 
that he gets to take full advantage of being in situations where you get to dominate the eighth, you get to dominate these high leverage situations to prove your value and prove your worth that I think that you've shown for years and years and just haven't had the opportunity to show in those situations. I really appreciate that. You know, it's nice being able to have one of your best friends as your catcher for a good portion of your career and still get to, you know, do things like this and talk and hang out and talk baseball. But Taylor's done a phenomenal job of keeping me accountable on and off the field. And, you know, shoot, I love the man, do anything for him. He's been my personal catcher, best friend. So he was, he was my upset first I wasn't, pitcher for sure. I'm just upset I wasn't the first guy in your podcast, but you know what? Peter Patter, I'm not going to hold it against you. So Unbelievable. I know. Hey, Pierce, <laughs> it was really nice to meet you, man. And I look forward to watching you shove uh, at home this year. That's going to be great. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. TD. Thanks, Pierce. Always.